All right, episode four of the Game Time Podcast, or Game On Podcast, or the James Sullivan Podcast. Haven't quite figured out the name yet, but nevertheless, we're going to be talking about the divisional round of the playoffs, the four matchups. Should be a pretty quick recap here. I just want to talk about what I saw in these games and really what I'm looking forward to seeing heading into the championship weekend in a few days here. Um, I wanted to briefly touch on the Lions-Buccaneers, briefly touch on the Ravens versus Texans, and then I'll get a little more into depth as far as the 49ers versus Packers game and the Chiefs versus Bills game go, as I thought those were a little more interesting and a little more telling of, you know, what's to come in the future for these two teams. So, yeah, let's hop right into it. Starting out with the Lions versus Buccaneers, I thought Detroit kind of, even though it was a close game throughout, I thought they kind of showed that they controlled the game. I think this chip that they're playing with on their shoulder with Dan Campbell, the job that he has done with this franchise and really this city and this whole organization, I don't think it can be overstated. I mean, when you look at what this team has been throughout history, obviously it's been well documented, no Super Bowls, no Super Bowl appearances even. I believe they've had one playoff game since... 19 whatever I mean it's been forever since they've seen any sort of postseason success even the first couple years of Dan Campbell they struggled mightily in the first year I believe they got three or four wins the year after they started off really rocky but since then I mean the turning point in this team has been drastic as drastic as I've ever seen a team turn around and you know heading into the championship game I think a lot of people are not giving them enough credit here Um, The biggest knock on this team throughout the entire season has been their defense, particularly the back end of their defense as far as their secondary goes. But I'm honestly impressed in what we've seen out of them in these past two games. We saw what they did to LA as far as the red zone goes. I mean, yeah, the Rams were pretty easily able to drive it down the field at will, and Stafford had a really good game. But once they got in the red zone, it really seemed like they tightened up, and that was ultimately the key to that game. They held them to three field goals in the second half instead of three what could have been very easily touchdowns had this secondary played as bad as I think a lot of people think they are. Um, in this game against the Bucks, I mean, again, Baker Mayfield, if you look at the box score, had almost 350 yards, three touchdowns. Mike Evans had 147 receiving yards. But I think if you really look closer at the game, you see Baker Mayfield, 26 of 41, decent completion percentage, two interceptions, though, one of which was that game ceiling one at the very end. And outside of Mike Evans, all of their receivers were very much held in check. Chris Godwin had four receptions for only 40 yards. Rashad White, besides that one screen that went for a touchdown, um, four receptions for 36 yards. Trey Palmer, only two receptions, which is, I mean, really shocking. He's the guy who can take the top off defenses. He's the Buccaneers speedster, their Tyree kill, so to say. And he wasn't able to get anything going over the top. His longest reception was 23 yards. And then outside of that, he had a nine-yard reception. That's it. Um, Chase Edmonds, two receptions, David Moore, one reception. So, you know, I think this back end has really come together in the times that it's mattered. I think they play with enough grit. Uh, That's the term they've been throwing around there in Detroit. I think they play with enough grit to really tough out these games and, you know, lock down when they need to. On the offensive side of the ball, I thought we saw a lot of what we've seen throughout the whole season, which is a really well-oiled offense. Jared Goff, another phenomenal game. I think he's He's honestly, uh, I know as far as Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, I think they've really separated themselves from the pack in terms of NFL quarterbacks. But I think Jared Goff is in that tier below them where if the conditions are good and we've seen it time and time again, he's a really natural thrower of the football. Obviously a number one pick coming out of Cal. He's won wherever he's been. And these past couple years in Detroit, I thought his progression as a player has significantly improved. 
against the Bucks, 30 of 43 for 287 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions, no turnovers, really spread the ball around nicely as well. Amon Ross St. Brown had eight receptions. Sam Laporta just keeps up the dominance with nine receptions. Jameer Gibbs with four, Jameson Williams with two, Josh Reynolds with two, David Montgomery out of the backfield with three. I think Jared Goff is a really formidable quarterback, and I do think as he's shown in the past, he's able to take these teams to the Super Bowl, and ultimately, I think he's good enough to win one um, if the time comes. Now, before I move on to the Ravens versus Texans game, there is one thing from this game that really stood out, and that was at the very end, that lack of a timeout from Todd Bowles in this Buccaneers defense, I thought was a really, I don't know how you can even explain that. I know he talked about it in his post-game presser, and he said, well, Detroit was going to kick a field goal anyway, and the game would have been over. But this is the playoffs, and this is the NFL. If you block that kick, you can even take it back for a touchdown. Even if you don't, if they just simply miss the kick, you have the ball at almost midfield, only down eight with 35 seconds remaining. That game is not over by any stretch of the imagination, especially in the playoffs. So from the Buccaneers and Todd Bowles' point of view, I think this is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen to end a game. And from the Lions and Jared Goff's point of view, I don't know why you'd even have this scenario come up. If you're Jared Goff, you can't be kneeling the ball with 20 seconds left on the play clock. So I'm assuming there must have been some communication there between teams saying, you know, this game is over, let's wrap it up. But I just find that situation to be completely bizarre. I was sitting at my TV, I mean, wanting to scream at it saying, why aren't we taking the timeout? But other than that, I thought Detroit really showed who they are, played with a lot of grit on defense. Like I said, their offense looked good as ever, and I think there's a real possibility that this game against San Francisco is surprisingly competitive, so we'll see. Moving into the Texans versus Ravens game, you know, I thought this was really a case of good story, maybe not that good of a team. As far as the Houston Texans go, I think they've had a really good run in this last half of the season, especially last week putting up, what was it, 47 points on the Cleveland Browns defense. But ultimately... And I shouldn't say good story, not so good team. I should say good team, better story, really. I think this was a better story than they are, you know, a great team. I thought Baltimore really, especially in that second half, showed just how much dominance they had over this Texans team. C.J. Stroud was limited to only 22 minutes time of possession. Um, I thought this was really a case of the Texans coming out with the Miko Ryans and had a really strong game plan. And you saw that in the first half, keeping it 10 to 10 at halftime. But after that, you know, your game plan going into a game only works for so long. And then after that, after a certain point with adjustments and things like that, the better teams usually start to take over. And in this case, the much more physical Baltimore Ravens team. I think this defense is something serious, you know. Um, I kind of look at the Ravens as what a lot of people thought the 49ers were earlier in the season. And obviously we see the 49ers struggling, and I'll get into that a little bit more next. But this Ravens defense... Any quarterback they go up against, you just see a significant drop in production. And we've seen it throughout the season. They crush the 49ers. They crush the Dolphins. They've just absolutely slammed any competitive good team they've run into throughout the entire season. C.J. Stroud last week, an almost perfect passer rating. This week, 19 of 13, only 175 yards, no touchdowns. You know, on the ground, Devin Singletary, nine carries for 22 yards. They were playing from behind most of the second half. It's just a dominant defense, real physical up front. The signing of Roquan Smith from the Bears has proven to really turn this defense around. I think these linebackers fly all over the place, and they hit like they have something against you. They hit so hard. I mean, there were a couple hits over the course of this game against the Texans where I thought, 
<laughs> some of the Baltimore players were breaking their necks, and they just stand up and do it again the next the next play. And then obviously on the offensive side of the ball, a real run-heavy team. This feels like an old-school, 80s sort of team, and it makes sense as they're being coached by a Harbaugh brother. But Lamar Jackson, 16 of 32, 152 yards, two touchdowns passing. And then as far as rushing goes, led the team in rushing with 11 carries, 100 yards, another two touchdowns. Just an absolutely phenomenal player. And this is kind of what I talk about with the game plan. You may have a game plan coming in to slow him down, but ultimately... I don't know how you guard Lamar Jackson over the course of an hour-long football game. I don't know. If you give him too much attention in the run game and have a spy on him the whole game, he's going to pick you apart from the pocket now. He's progressed so much as a passer that he's a really accurate quarterback. And then obviously if you play back and cover these receivers that they now have a plethora of as far as Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman even, I mean, he's just going to run all over you. And here we saw kind of a combination of both, 100 yards rushing, 152 yards passing, I mean, I think the Baltimore Ravens should be the favorites. I don't know if they will be in the sports books, but for this Super Bowl, I don't see many teams competing with them, especially when they're playing as physical and as dominant on both sides of the ball as they are now. And then even special teams, Justin Tucker, one of the greatest kickers of all time. They just really have all facets of the game covered. I think the Baltimore Ravens are a serious contender for a couple years here to come. As far as the Texans go, and I know I've compared C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love in a prior episode on this podcast, but I think in more ways than just the quarterback, they're really similar to that Green Bay team. A young team, really good coach. The only difference is I think Green Bay just needs a year or two of you know seasoning these players, a little bit more growth together as a team. Whereas this Houston Texans team, I think they need another draft class. I think they need some really big free agent splashes to to upgrade this team in more ways than one. Um, but, hey, they're not far off, as you saw this season, 10-7. and seven. They have the coach. They have the quarterback. They have a young receiver. Those are all really key pieces. They have a, a really good pass rusher um, in Will Anderson, as well as a really good young corner in Derek Stingley Jr. has come along well this season. So they have these cornerstones. I think they just need to fill out the roster a little more, and they should be, again, really good for, I mean, many years to come. Now shifting into the 49ers versus Packers game from Saturday night. Again, both of these teams I think are really similar to the two that we just talked about. This game was really an odd game to me. I think San Francisco, this was one of the luckier wins I've seen in recent memory as far as Brock Purdy almost throwing three interceptions that the Packers frankly should have had. I think the Packers outplayed them for most of the game. I think the 49ers were outcoached. And when you think of the elite coaches in the NFL, specifically young elite coaches, you think of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, obviously. And I do think they are really the top of the class, the top of the, you know, NFL. But Matt LaFleur, I mean, I think you've really got to start putting him in that conversation with those two. The way that he coached against Shanahan, Shanahan was outcoached this game. And I think it really comes down to his inability to make adjustments throughout the game. And we've seen this in the past. This wasn't just on Saturday night. When things aren't working, he tends to get really rigid and stick to the game plan. And I don't know if that's just a, a you know, factor of Brock Purdy not being trusted by him and this past game not being trusted. I think they're getting a little too Christian McCaffrey reliant. And when that doesn't work, and when Debo Samuel, we saw this game, get injured in the first quarter and get taken out, he just sticks to the same game plan he came into the game with. And that really showed in this game when Green Bay had a lead for most of the game and honestly should have won. You saw this in particular when Debo got hurt. He was still running the same 
sort of handoff to the wide receiver plays with other receivers that aren't, uh, excuse me, Debo Samuel, and they can't do what Debo Samuel can do, yet he was still running these plays and they just weren't working. And on top of that, and I know I just said they're at times a little too Christian McCaffrey reliant, in this game it seemed like he was just trying to spread them out. He was trying to spread out five wide and have Brock Purdy throw the ball around the yard, which not only is sort of the opposite of how Shanahan usually likes games to go and usually calls games, but this game in particular, it just wasn't working. Brock Purdy in the rain, any sort of rain really, and we've seen this throughout his career, but specifically on Saturday when it was just, it wasn't a downpour or anything, it was just kind of a light rain, light drizzle, he can't grip the ball. I mean, there was a couple of throws into the flats that were five yards short in the dirt, and it's just not even close. Yet Shanahan was so insistent on throwing the ball around the yard when on the other side, Green Bay, Aaron Jones, who's... I think at this point, arguably one of the best backs in the league, they were just running it down your throat. And Shanahan, who has McCaffrey in the backfield, was just not willing to run the ball. He, he just kept trying to throw it. He was so persistent on that. And, you know, like I said, if there's one downfall to Kyle Shanahan, it's that. He doesn't have that Belichick sort of, okay, this isn't working, let's adjust. Okay, now this isn't working, let's adjust again. He just comes into games thinking that his game plan is going to be so dominant. And as he should, I think he is one of the better schemers in the entire league. And they've had a lot of impressive wins. But kind of similar to the Cowboys, when you're playing from behind and you don't get out to that early lead, you have to be able to pivot. And at a lot of times, it seems like Kyle Shanahan is unable to make that pivot. So that combined with this roster really aging and getting pretty expensive here once they have to pay Purdy in a couple years, I think we may be seeing a turning point as far as the 49ers' dominance goes. I think, I don't want to say their window's closed, because obviously it's not. I mean, still a stacked roster. I still do think Shanahan is, like I said, a top two, top three coach in the entire league. But I mean, with those things in mind, it's it's definitely closed a little bit after this game in my head. Not not a lot. Maybe from 100% down to, I don't know, 80%. Aging roster, Shanahan unable to pivot. We've seen it time and time again, but when you're playing from behind and, you know, in the playoffs in January football, it's going to be a lot of that. In the championship game, in the Super Bowl, in the divisional round in this case, cold weather, wet weather, uh, better teams, better coaches, you're going to be playing from behind. And you're going to be forced to pivot, and Shanahan has not proven to do so. Now, as far as Brock Purdy goes and the struggles he faced in this game with the weather, like I said, we've seen that time and time again. However, I'm seeing people on, you know, the internet and on the post-game show and halftime show and commentators talking about him like he's some sort of scrub and he can't win with this 49ers team and he's a really below-average quarterback. I don't think so. I think he's a really accurate quarterback. And I also think it's really important. I think this is a point a lot of people are missing when they talk about Brock Purdy. He's a second-year quarterback. Not only was he the last pick, but he's only a second-year quarterback. You know, I don't think we can be judging him as if he's in the Patrick Mahomes realm, who's in his eighth season, the Josh Allen realm, the really any quarterback in the league, the Dak Prescott realm even. These guys are seasoned vets who have been in the league for eight, nine, ten years. Brock Purdy is in his second year. He's coming off of a significant shoulder surgery in the offseason. You know, I think we should... Make sure we have the framing right when talking about Brock Purdy. Do I think he's an elite level quarterback? No, I don't. I think he's a really serviceable one, kind of similar to Jared Goff in the sense that he's going to make a play when the elements are right. He doesn't make too many mistakes. He's very accurate, but he's also not going to be giving you what 
Obviously, like I said, Mahomes, Lamar can give you as far as escapability and just making sort of magic happen when you're trailing in these games. So just two kind of factors to look at moving forward for this 49ers team. On the other side of the ball, Green Bay, I, I sort of touched on it before at the beginning of this little rant, but Matt LaFleur, he is really in the upper echelon of coaches. I think it's time to put him up there in that conversation. I think they really struck gold as far as hiring Matt LaFleur. Not only has he shown to be a really successful and innovative offensive play caller, but he also gets along with guys in the locker room. So he's obviously a great coach. And not only that, but he's worked with guys of all levels. We saw him work with Aaron Rodgers. He loves Matt LaFleur. He's said nothing but good things about him. And now we're seeing him coach up Jordan Love and develop a young quarterback. So what more do you really want from him? He's, he's a great coach. They really struck gold with that one. And then as far as this roster goes, I talked about it when they absolutely I mean, beat the shit out of the Cowboys. This roster, I think, is going to be honestly competing for the NFC Championship for a better part of the next decade, I want to say. A really young team. Jordan Love looks like the absolute real deal with some of the throws that he makes against really good defenses. Aaron Jones, like I said, I think belongs in the conversation for top running back in the league, at least top three. And then this receiving core, all really young receivers, not any that particularly stand out as a star receiver, but when you have three really serviceable receivers and two really good tight ends, you know, Luke Musgrave, I think it's honestly even better at times because you can spread the ball out. Teams can't really game plan for one specific receiver. So I think this team has a really good foundation, a really solid defense. We've seen a lot of speed on their defense this year. If there was one thing to adjust heading in the postseason, I would have said getting rid of Joe Barry, I believe is his name, the defensive coordinator, get another defensive play caller in there instead. But I mean, this playoff run, he's shut down the Cowboys and now really competed their asses off with the 49ers. So I'm not even sure if you should make that move anymore. Um, other than that, I mean, this Green Bay team is really set up nicely for the future, and I think they're going to be a problem, um, like I said, for the better part of the next, I don't know, decade, really. So just to wrap it up, really fascinating game. Um, 49ers honestly got a little lucky here. Green Bay, what a season, especially on the back half of that season heading into the playoffs. Really great turnaround, and they're looking brighter than ever post Aaron Rodgers. Excited to see what comes out of that. And now, last but definitely not least want to talk about the Kansas City at Buffalo Bills game. This I thought was, I mean, considered by many as the most interesting game of the week. Everyone was excited for it. I think it broke some sort of record for ratings as far as live viewership goes. And we saw Kansas City once again rip the hearts out of the Bills and the Bills fans. Patrick Mahomes finds a way once again. 27 to 24, really tight game throughout, but Kansas City proved to be the better team and really all facets of this game. Isaiah Pacheco had another good game. He's continuing this really incredible run that he's had as of late. Travis Kelsey seemed to come alive in this game. Five receptions, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Had a lot of really crucial plays on third down. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a really big game. He had a long, I think it was like a 30-yard play. Rasheed Rice, another pretty solid game. We've seen what he can do in the past, though. Very capable receiver. And then, like I said, Patrick Mahomes, 17 of 23, 215 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and no sacks. Just another monster of a game. Mahomes magic. I think it's really, you can't overstate what Patrick Mahomes has done so far in his semi-young career. There are really some mind-blowing stats when you look at Mahomes, specifically in the postseason. Since he became the starter five seasons ago... 
he has yet to miss the conference championship game. That is just straight up mind-blowing. And in the divisional round, he's now 6-0 with 16 total touchdowns and zero turnovers outright in the six seasons that he's played. That's incredible. And not only that, him and Travis Kelsey this game broke Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski's record for most touchdowns between a quarterback and a receiver in postseason history. And they're only five and a half playoff runs in. So just incredible stats. He is, again, there's no doubt about it. He's by far and away the best quarterback in the league right now. And I think he's well on his way to sort of catching Brady. I don't want to say he's going to catch Brady. I mean, that's obviously we saw what Brady has done throughout his career, but if there's anyone who's going to catch him and if there's anyone who deserves to be in that GOAT conversation this early in their career, it's definitely Patrick Mahomes. On the other side of the ball, as far as the Bills go, just a really brutal loss here. You know, I think this is one of those games where the Chiefs really opened the door a few times in this game to, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like they really opened the door for the Bills to come in and take it. You know, that fumble at the goal line turned into the Bills ball. At home, if you're Buffalo... The Chiefs have been struggling all year. It seems like they don't have the personnel they've had in the past. Obviously, a much improved defense on that Kansas City side of the ball, but this is just one of those games that's just gut-wrenching. And I don't know what you can do if you're Buffalo. It seems like, obviously, they have an elite quarterback in Josh Allen. Stephon Diggs has been struggling as of late, but a seemingly elite receiver. James Cook has come on this season. Pretty good rushing game. Their defense is, although banged up this season, especially late, um, in the past, it's been solid. Their coach is seemingly pretty good, although there was that weird fake punt that I don't agree with. I don't know why they would run that. I don't think you can give, in any circumstance, really, Patrick Mahomes the ball from his own 35 or 40-yard line. I think that's just a mistake that can't happen. But other than that, it's not like anyone played horrible. Josh Allen didn't play a horrible game. Sean McDermott didn't have a horrible game plan. They were in the game the entirety of the game. They were up at halftime, 17-13 to 13 or whatever it was. And it's just one of those games that I don't know how you beat this Chiefs team. It just seems like same shit, different day for three years in a row now. Everything was in your favor this year and you still can't pull it out. I think that's really tough to shake from a franchise point of view. As far as Josh Allen goes, I think it's really time we start having a conversation about him. If you look at some of these stats, they're pretty, they're pretty jarring. I mean, again, he had a really good game, except for at the end there, he missed... And they were showing it on the broadcast. He seemed to have missed three throws, particularly one to Stephon Diggs, where he was running a little bit of a crossing route, what, five yards in front of Josh Allen. He just missed him. And instead, he took a shot to the end zone. Granted, it was open. It seemed like I think he got hit when he threw a little bit or right after he threw and the ball came up short. But you had Stephon Diggs running a little crossing pattern right in front of you. If you hit him, he would have picked up 20 yards, drained some clock off at least, maybe scored a touchdown got closer in field goal range, you know, and there were multiple throws like that. I can't put much of this game directly on Josh Allen because like I said, he made a lot of big plays, a lot of plays with his legs. Didn't have a bad game, 26 of 39, 186 yards, one touchdown, zero turnovers. But when you look at his playoff success as a whole, that's when I think this conversation needs to start coming up. I'm just going to read off his playoff wins here throughout his career and what quarterbacks he was going up against on these teams. In 2020, he had the farewell tour to Phillip Rivers on the other side of the ball. That same year, he beat Lamar Jackson, who had a concussion in the third quarter and had to leave the game. In 2021, he beat Mac Jones. 
In 2022, he beat Skylar Thompson on that Dolphins team. And so far this year, he beat Mason Rudolph on the Steelers. And those are all of his wins. Granted, in those same years, he's going up against Patrick Mahomes at some point losing, like I just talked about. But outside of, you know, these significantly below average quarterbacks, he hasn't beaten anybody in the playoffs. He hasn't had the opportunity outside of Patrick Mahomes, like I said, but at some point, you've got to get over that hump especially when you look at the cap hit coming from Josh Allen in, in coming years. In 2019, he was a $5 million cap hit. In 2020, that went up to 6. 2021, that went up to 10. 2022, that went up to 16. 2023, that went up to 18. In each of these years, he's lost, and he hasn't had enough to get over that hump. And next year, in 2024, that cap hit is going to jump from $18 million up to $47 million. So not only has Josh Allen and this team not been able to get over this Kansas City team and get past them at any point in the playoffs, but it's about to get much, much harder with him making, you know, nearly $30 million more. You're going to have to start getting rid of guys. And then when you pair that with Stefan Diggs, who's making an absurd amount of money, somewhere in the 20s, nearly $30 million per year, I think, as a dead cap hit, it's going to be tough, especially when Stefan Diggs is struggling, like I just said. I saw a really interesting stat today. In the last 10 Bills games, Stephon Diggs is getting outpaced by Khalil Shakir in terms of receiving yards on 50 more targets. And Shakir, a great young receiver, but when you're paying Stephon Diggs that 20 to $30 million range, you can't have Shakir getting more yards on 50 less targets. The production just does not match up. And when you pair that with the off-the-field you know, issues and the immovable contract of Stefan Diggs. I don't know what you do in that situation with him. I think at this point, all eyes kind of naturally shift towards the coach and Sean McDermott, who, like I said, isn't a bad coach. Real quick, I wanted to note something interesting going back to Josh Allen for a second and kind of along the coaching lines. It seems like the Bills and Joe Brady have kind of turned Josh Allen into a sort of game manager, which is really interesting. I don't know if that's because they're scared of his turnovers. We've seen him struggle with turnovers each of the last really his whole career, to be honest. But in this game, he completed all 16 of his passes behind the line of scrimmage, which is an NFL record. And then only 10 of his 21 passes beyond the line of scrimmage, which is just really interesting. They're they're not letting him sort of roam and pull off the freestyling and heroics that we've seen in the past. And honestly, rightfully so, we saw them kind of unleash him at the end of the game. And what did he do? He fumbled and then took two or three just Hail Mary shots to the end zone instead of taking the underneath route. So I don't blame them, but it's just hard to navigate where you go from here. It's definitely not the kicker's fault at the end of the game when mistakes like that are happening from Josh Allen. Which brings me back to what do you do about Sean McDermott? What can you do as this team and franchise moving forward past this year? Do you run it back again for seemingly the third or fourth year in a row with pretty much an identical team? You're obviously not going to move off Josh Allen. You obviously can't really move off Stephon Diggs, so really it's just the coach. Do I think they should get rid of Sean McDermott? Not necessarily. The only thing is, he is, and this has been talked about so much over the past couple of years within the NFL media and things like that, Sean McDermott is a fully defensive-minded coach. And when you look at the other side of the ball and see what Andy Reid is working with, whenever you pay these quarterbacks like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have a flawed roster in certain spots. It just really comes down to, and I think I heard Colin Cowherd say this the other day on his podcast, it really comes down to how quickly you're able to mitigate these problems 
and fill the holes in ways that you can, especially on the offensive side of the ball. We've seen Andy Reid do that so much quicker than what Sean McDermott, for instance, has, a defensive-minded coach. You know, Andy Reid brought in Juju Smith-Schuster for a year. He's made this offense work with a really lackluster receiving core. And then when you look across and look at Sean McDermott, it's just been really the same team, like I said, for the past three years. Not necessarily his fault as far as the roster goes, but as far as what he's turning the roster into and what he's getting out of these players... I don't think he matches up to offensive guys like Andy Reid. We've seen Sean McVay get the most out of that Rams roster. You know, Kyle Shanahan, as far as his scheming goes in that stacked 49ers roster, Sean McDermott just doesn't stack up with them. And when your defense isn't playing to an elite, elite level, it makes you question whether or not you move on from him. I'm not saying you do, but I'm saying I think it's definitely something that should be in the cards and in the conversation for the Bills heading into this offseason. So overall, a really interesting and exciting divisional game weekend. Um, The Lions moving on to face the 49ers in San Francisco, and then the Chiefs beating the Bills to move on and face the Ravens in Baltimore. Two really good games, and you know this podcast is already at 30 minutes here almost, so I'll save my predictions and sort of what I'm expecting out of those games, as well as the betting lines and how you should bet on the spread. I'll save that for the next episode coming up here in a couple days, but... Again, just to wrap up, really exciting games. Really excited to see these playoffs moving forward. I think this is a really good postseason. Honestly, a lot of parity here. There's not one clear straight to the Super Bowl. We're definitely going to see them probably win. Um, So, yeah, I'm looking forward to next weekend, and I should be getting those predictions out in a couple days. Thank you all for listening. Until next time.